Hi, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Well, howdy, brothers and sisters. Welcome to another episode, Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. Grace and peace be unto you all. Well, as you know, uh, in this podcast, Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas, uh, there are times we do biblical commentary on the burning issues of the day or take on a, you know, a biblical topic and subject prayerfully to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry and to fight the Lord's battles. And then sometimes we have interesting interviews, interviews with uh, some movers and shakers in God's kingdom. And uh, today is the day we do an interview. And it's not just an interview with Um, just uh, somebody I'm not acquainted with. Uh, I'm doing an interview with a dear brother that the Lord brought us together a few years back, and I've watched this young man grow and develop and mature uh, into a wonderful man of God, a husband, a father. Uh, It is none other than Jason Storms and... uh, He is the dear brother that I eventually, when I decided uh, to step down from being national director of Operation Rescue, Operation Save America, I turned the reins over to Jason. Um, And that will tell you all that you need to know about what you think, what I think of this young man uh, when it comes to his character, his integrity uh, in the Lord. So, Brother Jason, I want to welcome you uh, to this podcast. And before we begin, uh, just to let the folks know, we will be discussing a biblical worldview concerning children. Uh, In times past, I have touched on this subject uh, in passing Uh, But we're going to go more in depth uh, into this topic today. And what's interesting, both Jason and I are really sort of unlikely candidates to be uh, come, you know, by God's grace, husbands and fathers that actually treasure family and marriage and especially the blessing of children. And we're going to get more into this later. But before we do, I did want to read a portion uh, from my book, Raising Godly Children in a Godless Age. And then I'm going to introduce Jason. We're going to find out a little bit about his background, kind of how he grew up, how he came to faith in Christ and what God did in his heart uh, to turn his heart Uh, to the Lord, to his wife, uh, and to having children and many children. And uh, recently he did a great post, and we're going to go through that a little bit because he brings out some incredible biblical truths we have to take into consideration. So we're going to start with Genesis 1, 27, 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And again, this is a part of our book, Raising Godly Children in a Godless Age. Notice there's a direct connection between being fruitful, multiply, and subdue, dominion. Amazingly, this mandate continued after the fall. 
God reiterated this covenant command to Noah after the flood. It therefore remains the modus operandi of the Lord. Now, even though sin entered the earth, along with the subsequent consequences of death, hell, and the grave, yet God still calls mankind to be fruitful and multiply. He has never wavered on this aspect of his will for his fallen creatures. We see the benefit of this mandate, this mandate demonstrated through the descendants of Hannah. He-Man was the grandson of Samuel the prophet, great-grandson of Hannah. He-Man was the first of the three Levites to whom was committed the vocal and instrumental music of the temple service in the reign of David. According to the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, Heman seems also to have been a man of spiritual power because he is called the king's seer in matters of God. We read in 1 Chronicles 25, 5, all these were the sons of Heman, the king's seer, according to the promise of God to exalt him, for God has given He-Man 14 sons and three daughters. The New Living Translation reads, all these were the sons of He-Man, the king's seer, for God had honored him with 14 sons and three daughters. The same passage in the Wycliffe Bible states, all these, the sons of He-Man, were prophets of the king in the words of God, that he should enhance the horn or strength. And God gave to He-Man 14 sons and three daughters. And on and on it goes about this special man, He-Man, uh, that God blessed with many children. And it clearly was not only a sign of God's blessing, but it was literally He-Man's authority and dominion in the earth. And so, Brother Jason, I want to welcome you to Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. And as we begin, brother, I want you to share just briefly a little bit about how you were raised and how you came to faith in Christ. God bless you, buddy. Welcome. Hey, Rusty. It's a pleasure to be on with you, brother. And uh, many blessings to you and to this podcast and to your family. So, yeah, great introduction. And, uh, you know, we, I was not raised in an ideal family situation. Uh, my children, were, my, my parents, rather, were products of the 70s, sort of the sex, drugs, rock and roll, do it makes you feel good culture and so as teenagers they produced two children that they were not prepared to take care of and that was me and my, my older brothers a year and a half older than me and so my parents uh were married for about one year largely while they were pregnant with me and uh it didn't last very long and they were divorced when uh, i was a baby and so my mom raised me and my brother as a single mom and still a teenager and uh you know we we grew up uh poor in difficult circumstances and it was far than the ideal situation. So I, I grew up sort of wild, raised by the entertainment industry, gangster rap music and all that sort of thing. And uh, that led me to being basically a, a womanizing, drug addicted, uh, homeless lowlife <laughs> at age 18 in uh, San Jose, California. And uh, my dad, who I had a bit of a relationship with on and off through my childhood, but went many years without ever seeing him 10 years of my childhood. I never even saw him. And uh, he actually came to the Lord when I was three years old and it led me to Christ at a young age, but I wasn't raised by him and didn't spend a lot of time around him. And so I was raised in a very unchristian environment uh, by my mother. And so, you know, my dad prayed for me a lot and uh, he reached out to me when I was, uh, 18, out of, just out of high school and just really sort of rock bottom 
and said, you know, basically, hey, if you want to get a, a fresh start, Jason, I know I haven't really been there for you, haven't really been close to you much of your life, but if you want to get a fresh start, get a roof over your head, I'll buy you a, a bus ticket to come down to New Orleans where he was living and pastoring. And uh, I said, okay, and hopped on a Greyhound bus at the age of, uh, well, I turned, I celebrated my 19th birthday <laughs> on a Greyhound bus somewhere in the middle of Texas. And, uh, and got off that bus, 19 years old, uh, broken in a, in a mess, it's really literally the clothes on my back. And uh, had four days on the bus to be sober and ref just reflecting and just was, was, was broken. God really broke me. I knew I was a sinner. I knew my life was a mess. I knew I needed to know what the purpose of my life is. Why did I exist? Why was I here on this planet? I uh, didn't trust any institutions around me. I knew our public school system was a failure. <laughs> I did not like school, didn't trust school. I knew our government was corrupt. I saw most churches as corrupt. I knew the media was corrupt. I just saw everything around me was corrupt. And I thought, where does a young man go for truth and to figure out what the purpose of life is? And so I uh, hopped off that bus. And the first day I was in New Orleans, my dad was having a Bible study at our little apartment we had in the city and uh, just the words of scripture were just jumping off the page to me. And I was just like a lost, thirsty soul getting a, getting a steak and a big glass of water put in front of me. So um, I wrestled with my dad for the next couple of weeks. You know, I had a lot of questions. I was a skeptic. Well, why would God do this? Well, how do you know the Bible that? And so he just patiently answered my questions for me, talked me through things. And he's got an extensive library. I began to pull books off the shelf and read and uh, went to church with him felt the presence of God in a powerful way uh, uh, there in the sanctuary. And uh, just I was overwhelmed uh, by the truth of Scripture, the person of Jesus Christ, power of the Holy Spirit. And so at the age of 19, surrendered my life to Christ and uh, was transformed, regenerated and became a new man. And, and uh, so there I was with all these bad habits <laughs> and trying to figure out how do I now become a man? And what am I supposed to do? And so, uh, you know, I had no skills, had a high school diploma, but I had no real useful skills, no functional skills, and was uh, was pretty ignorant about most everything in life. And so, you know, had nowhere to go, but up was the good thing. <laughs> so I began to figure out how to work hard and how to be a man, how to be responsible. <laughs> and, you know, of course, was praying for a wife. Lord, I need a wife. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Yesterday. I can't be promiscuous anymore. Lord, I need a wife. Today. <laughs> And, uh, you know, Lord made me wait uh, five years. Well, four, yeah, four, four years before I met my, my lovely wife, Sarah. And, you know, we courted for a year. And then uh, we got married when I was 24 years old. And so in that process uh, of, of me growing and being discipled, taught me hard work, taught me work ethic, taught me, you know, of course, immediately I got involved in, in uh, the pro-life movement, fighting abortion. And I remember going at age 19, I just had had a girlfriend that had an abortion a few months before that, before my coming to Christ and uh, was consenting to that and, and um, didn't think much of it. And then I remember uh, my dad shortly after I, I came to the Lord, uh, took me out to an abortion clinic, Ridge Lake Avenue abortion clinic in Metairie, yeah. Louisiana, just outside of New Orleans. And Pastor Bill Shanks was there and Pastor Dale Sosha and others and <laughs> Uh, somebody gave me an OSA t-shirt, Operation Save America. And, uh, you know, on the front, Jesus is the standard. And on the back side of it, it said, pro-life, without compromise, without exception, and without apology. And uh, that was 25 years ago. So I wore that shirt, you know, all over the place back then and began to be involved in speaking up for the preborn and preaching the gospel in the streets and trying to reach young men who had been lost like myself. And just began to grow leaps and bounds and trying to figure life out. And so never would have thought 25 years later, <laughs> I would be the national director of that organization. But God in his providence uh, works miracles. And so, you know, along that path, I met you and met others. And so one of the one of the families that had the biggest impact on me when I was 20 years old, and they lived down in the bayou of uh, just outside of New Orleans, and they were a homeschool family. I'd never met a homeschool family before. The only people I knew that were homeschooled were kids that got kicked <laughs> out of school. And I was like, man, homeschool, that's like the real troublemakers. <laughs> Little did I know they're troublemakers in a different type of way. But um, I met this family, and they had less than the ideal family as well. They had both been divorced. They had had children from previous marriages. And so most of their kids were grown. They were an older couple, and the, and the dad 
you know, uh, imparted a lot to me and sort of was helping to mentor me. And uh, here I was 20 years old. I was working $6 an hour for Brickland crew in the dog heat of New Orleans, working construction and uh, no real useful skills. Didn't know how to change the oil in a car, barely knew which end of the hammer to use. And, uh, and these, they, they had, they, they each had a 15 year old son. So they were, you know, as they're married, you know, raised their kids together. So they're the two 15 year old boys in the house. And these boys were amazing, Jacob and Jonathan, and they were homeschooled. And these boys would get up early. It was one of my biggest struggles at that time was just to get up early in the morning. Uh, they got up early, 6am every morning on their own. They'd make breakfast for the family. They had food that they would cook and prepare from the animals they would take care of in the garden they'd run. So these boys could garden, they could tend animals. Uh, and then they do book work and they were smart. They were academic, they were theological and we taught theology and culture and politics and philosophy. And then they would spend, you know, they'd be done with their school by noon and then they would spend the rest of the day, uh, you know, tinkering around their yard. They would, you know, garden, they had a wood, a, a wood shop and build chairs, tables, and they could work carpentry. And then they would do auto mechanics. I'd take my vehicle down by them and they'd, work on my car for me. And they had four or five cars in the yard. They'd strip them apart, tinker around with them, figure out how to put them back together. And they did all kind of mechanic work for people in the neighborhood. And I was like, mm -hmm. man, how in the world do you boys at 15 years old have all these skills? And, uh, you know, they said, well, we don't, we don't, well, we're homeschooled. We don't spend all day sitting in a classroom, uh, learning a bunch of arbitrary stuff that has very little to do with the real world. We live in the real world. We spend time with meaningful relationships with adults. And, and they cultivated yeah. all this tremendous skill. And I was like, man, that's the way to do it. And I realized, man, how much time I had wasted in school. You know, I had a high school diploma, 12 years I spent in school, 13 counting kindergarten, <laughs> 13 years in this education system. And they barely taught me anything. I was 18 years old, unprepared for the, for the real world and the adult world. And so I realized, you know, just how much of my childhood was done wrong. I was like, you know, what else was wrong? And so you know, began to just explore in this, this, this family, they had seven kids between the two of them. And so this is the first big family that I met. And I was like, wow, you guys got all these kids and all these kids are so helpful. They're so mature. They're so productive, yeah. man. I want to have a big family and I want to homeschool my kids. This is the way to do it. And so I became committed to that idea at, you know, just 20 years old. So that was that, that was that, the the point in time, Jason, where the Lord got you attention and, and started to turn your heart towards these things? Absolutely. Absolutely. So there I was 20 years old, you know, praying for a wife, which was still going to be a couple of years on the horizon. But I, I realized at that age, yeah, this is what this is how I'm going to raise my kids. I'm going to homeschool them. I'm going to educate them myself. And I'm going to have a lot of kids. And I'm going to, you know, and of course, as I was reading the scriptures, I was seeing, you know, mm. Uh, children are an inheritance of the Lord. You know, Psalm 127, blessed is the man whose quiver is full. They're like, you know, uh, mighty arrows in the gates, you know. And so I was, you know, seeing the value of family. And of course, in this time, I'm, I was learning. My, my dad was very involved politically and was, you know, discipling me, teaching me a lot. And I was learning about the deconstruction of the family and the deconstruction of our spiritual heritage in this country and realizing what we have lost. And one of those things is the desire to have children and a biblical view of children in the family. And I was just seeing that our culture had become so self-centered. And as a result, we didn't want to have children because they were an inconvenience, right, to, to a self-absorbed lifestyle. You know, if, if, if life is just all about my happiness and me uh, enjoying myself, then, you know, children get in the way of that because they're dirty and they're messy and they come out tiny and helpless and you got to care for them. You got to sacrifice for them. And that just gets in the way of a hedonistic young man who always wants to indulge in fun and games. And so, you know, I had a choice to make because my life going to be about games and fun or is going to be about the kingdom of God is going to be about uh, conforming myself to yeah, you know, the image and the patterns of scripture. And, you know, I committed to do that. And so, you know, I never purchased a video game system after I became a Christian. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I committed my free time to study <laughs> and to ministry and to Now, work. wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, we got it. We got we to address that real quick, buddy, because I think you did a post recently about, about video games. Video <laughs> games. And boy, 
Yeah, boy, you got a lot of blowback. Oh my goodness, post. yeah, brother, explain that because the, the folks, the folks need to hear this. Yeah, yeah, we had I had thousands of video gamers coming at me, email, you know, message box filled up with people cussing me out, telling me to go to hell, you know, because I criticize video games, you know, and uh, you know, I, I intentionally didn't put any nuance in there. I took a hard shot at video games and said, you know what, I played a lot of video games growing up as a kid, thousands of hours, in fact. Uh, but, you know, I, I grew up and uh, and we must grow up and we put games behind us. Now, of course, that doesn't mean there's not, a, you know, a time for recreation. We all have recreation and we play games and, and we do things, and especially with children. You know, I play all kinds of games with my kids, um, you know, but for grown men to be sitting around spending any significant amount of time playing video games, uh, that's a problem. It's 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 and it's an epidemic problem in our culture. Video games are extremely addictive, and they eat up your, you know, just like any social media, any of the technologies we see around us. They're designed to create an endorphin release that sucks you in, and it has a twofold effect. It creates addiction, and so men are thinking about their video games, and and and, and there's this just desire for for getting to the next level or conquering the next thing. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a counterfeit that satisfies the desire that God's put in men to conquer, to be strong, to fight, to defend the weak, to achieve victories and accomplishments and successes, to win championships, you know, to protect the weak and the helpless, to wage war against evil. You know, all those real, tangible, God-given desires, you know, young men are finding in substitutionary fake form in video games. And uh, and so not only does it do that, but it also, it's it, it, it's pacifying. You know, video games have a way of just pacifying young men and creating this passivity and this just mind numbing sort of, uh, you know, mom, I'll do it later. I gotta finish my game, you know, kind <laughs> of mentality. You know, and I was that way when I was a kid playing video games, you know, you know, you know, my mom would yell me, so Jason, get your shoes out of the living room, you know, and I'll finish it when I get my game done. You know, and an hour later, I'm still sitting there twiddling my thumbs at the video game. And, you know, she yelled at me again, get your shoes out of the living room. You know, it's like, mom, stop. I'm playing my game, you know. And, uh, you know, it, it just creates such a childishness and a narcissism in young men. And I, I see it, you know, you see it. I know you see it as well. And again, it's not to say video games are inherently evil. But they do have inherent uh, weaknesses and temptations. And so for young men who have not cultivated a robust self-discipline, you know, they're going to be weakened yeah. significantly by them. And they're going to consume way more of their time and energy than what they ought to. And so, of course, yeah, I made a Facebook post about this. Man, in gaming communities, you know, must have got shared around some gaming communities, got, you know, thousands of shares. And, you know, I had all these people coming at me. And uh, very aggressively, you know, so majorly pushed the button, yeah. you know. But, uh, you know, my challenge was, hey, there's a war going on. The Bible says we have an adversary who goes about seeking whom he may devour. We have an enemy of our souls. We have an enemy of our families, an enemy of our nation who is wreaking havoc on us. We are in war. And do we really want to devote any significant amount of our time to games? as grown men who are called to be warriors for Christ, soldiers for Christ, to wage a good warfare, that ought to be our priority. And I think the more that a young man is engaged in that, really takes up the mantle and fine tunes and sharpens the weapons of spiritual warfare and begins to engage in spiritual battle, the less interesting video games just are, yeah. the more boring video games become, right? When you're really engaged in the spiritual battles, uh, that's exciting, yeah. you know, and uh, and that fulfills the inner longings of a Christian man. And so, you know, I, I just try, as you've done, you know, for many years, even before me, to call young men onto the battlefield of, of, of real life. And so, amen. That involves having children, getting married and having children. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, just a couple of things along those lines, bro. You know, you got... You got so many men who are li living their manhood osmosis, you know, <laughs> through the video games or through action figures and movies or even sport, you know, sport uh, celebrities, you know what I mean? Um, but actually engaging in real life activity uh, that has been found wanting. And what's interesting, Jason, it, it, it's like. 
it it plays tricks especially in the minds of young men because like you're saying like go to the next level or conquer this or conquer that in the mind they actually believe they've achieved a certain amount of greatness you know so it kind of tricks the mind it 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 you know, it gives them the sense like, oh, wow, you know, I really achieved something great. But in real life, they've just squandered like 72 hours to reach the 32nd level. And they have nothing to show that improves their life or shows any, prod, you know, productivity in real life. And so this whole virtual reality brother it is doing great damage to the true reality obviously the lord wants us to function and so this these are critically important issues and we brought them up a lot in the uh manhood conference we had just recently which was so so good brother and i'm so glad uh you invited me to be a part of that that was tremendous but brother real quickly um you you did a post just recently um, talking about, you know, the importance of family, the importance of marriage, and especially the importance of children. Now, we know that the value system in America has radically changed. Now, I, I forget the exact number, brother, but I believe in 1912 uh, in America, like the average family was like eight or nine children i mean the average family was eight or nine um now i believe it's about two i believe uh yeah it's less less than two now so obviously from it's less than two so we're not even reproducing ourselves no we've fallen under yeah so what we have seen is a major and i mean major shift in our value system, uh, and not just pagan Americans, but even yeah. Christian Americans, we have bought into this lie, this anti-child mentality, and it's almost like who's afraid of the big bad baby? Well, a whole lot of people <laughs> seem to be afraid of the big bad baby, um, except the Lord, and except the scriptures and accept the mandate that God has given to us. So brother, if you will take some time, Jason, and unpack that post because there was important principles that you were bringing to the table that I think a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ need to consider when it comes to the importance of family, especially as it relates to the advancement of the kingdom of God, they play a crucial role in the Lord's plan. Amen. hundred percent. And, you know, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit, you know, to start off on that note and say, you know, children are difficult. You know, I can understand why people are intimidated, um, especially, you know, the problem we have where our children are being raised. We, it, 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 we're the most materialistic culture that's ever existed in history. And so our children are being raised in a, in, in a very pampered environment and they don't have to sacrifice a lot uh, through their childhood. You know, they're sort of handed anything they want and uh, they live very, we live very comfortable lives. Uh, most of our kids have never really experienced deprivation of any significant type. And so as they hit 18, 19, 20 years old, they begin to move out of the house or, you know, take on the mantle of adulthood. And they're just woefully underprepared and underdeveloped to start families, to make that level of sacrifice. You know, marriage is a, is a demand of sacrifice, coming together with another person and lifelong covenant, committing for better or for worse to love that person, to put that person, you know, that's challenging enough. And then for a young couple to then get pregnant, to bring a, a tiny helpless infant into the world that needs your constant time and care and have to raise that child and commit to, you know, 18 years or, or whatever uh, to that child's life. It's a big commitment. It's a serious thing. Uh, but, but you know, society in the past was structured around family and children. So this was just in the ethos of the culture from a young age. As kids were growing up, 
they were understanding this is part of their purpose is to reproduce, to have children. They were being prepared from a young age for fatherhood or motherhood and for family in, in, in you know, society which centered around and structured around the family. And it's that's no longer the case. Two huge milestones just within the last 10 to 15 years that have hit our culture. One is the first time in the history of our nation we have more unmarried adults than married adults. And that was about 10 years ago. First time we've ever had more unmarried adults than married adults. So people don't even want to get married. You know, they're they, they not wow. even growing up into their 20s, late 20s, even into their 30s, still single, still living the single life. Well, why do I want to get bogged down with commitment? Well, I just don't know. Well, I don't even know what I'm going to do in my life. And, uh, you know, so, so kids are not growing up. And then the second thing is this is the also within the last 10 to 15 years, I forget the exact year now to spend some time, but it's also the first time we have more households in America without children than with children. So think of the significance of that milestone. Now, wow. the, now, now the norm in America wow. is homes without children. So what is considered mainstream normative in American but society? But lots of pets, now, brother. Yeah. Lots of pets. But lots of pets. So, you know, you see it even in the media, right? You think of, I know, it's probably even more so when you were a kid. Certainly when I was a kid, there were a lot of things that in during the hours of the day when children could be watching TV, there were things that just weren't acceptable to put on the television. And networks had to be very careful about that or they'd get into big trouble. You know, the, the, the you know there's a lot of the bad stuff sort of was late night, right? And, uh, you know, f everything had to be family friendly during the hours that kids could be watching television because it was expected the average American home would have children. But that's no longer the case. And, that's, and I think we've also seen that shift over the last 10 years or so. We're now middle of the day, even cartoons. <laughs> you, know, you have cartoons now, a whole industry of cartoons and marketed to young adults, <laughs> you know, sit and watch cartoons in the middle of the day. And, and, and they're full of raunchy sexual perversion. Uh, violence and, uh, you know, and a confusion and blurring the lines of good versus evil. You know, when, when I was a kid, it was G.I. Joe, you know, good versus evil. The good guys told the truth. They protected the weak. They they were honest. They were upright. They were sacrificial. The bad guys were the liars and the ones trying to hurt people. You know, there was these clear lines of good and evil. You know, you just haven't seen that in the last 15 plus years, even in children's, you know, quote unquote programming, right? Interesting word, children's programming. Um, that's not the case, right? The, the lines of good and evil are blurred. Um, and, and so there, there's been this loss of virtue and this loss of family being central to American life and culture. And so what it's produced is this narcissistic generation of young people who now are growing old and they don't want kids. It's me, myself, and I. And here's what's interesting about that, Rusty, and I bring this out in my post is that what has happened in our culture simultaneous to that? We have more people on antidepressants. We have the highest rate of suicide in our nation's history. We have more unhappy, depressed, stressed out, and suicidal people in our nation than ever. And yet everybody's all about happiness. They're all about their own personal happiness. And yet we're more miserable than we've ever been. And it's because we've accepted, I believe, a substitute for that which where God says we will find our mm. joy and our blessings, namely in him and in his plan for family and having children. You know, as well, you know, as well as anybody, the joy that comes from raising children, the joy that comes from holding your sweet little babies and now even your grandbabies in your lap, the joy comes through all the toil and sacrifice of changing those diapers and cooking them food and teaching them how to ride a bike and the bumps and the bruises and the scrapes and the nights of having to wake up in the middle of the night to change a diaper or hold a screaming baby. You know, All that hardship bears wonderful, deep fruit in the reaping of tremendous joy and deep relationship and love. And there's nothing like coming home after a long work day and three or four children run up to me, daddy, daddy. And they grab me and embrace me and just holding them tightly in my arms, running over and grabbing my little baby and scooping her up and just holding her. And she just wraps herself around me and melts in my arms. I mean, all the stress of the day, all the anxiety of the day, all the struggle and toil. I mean, I can just plop down on the couch and it all just melts away. And, you know, the joy of that. And it's amazing how many people just don't experience that and don't have that. 
you know, because they wanted a nicer car and a nicer house and more money and more things and put those things as their source of happiness. And they're finding those things don't give you happiness. You know, you can go out in your garage after a long day of work and start washing your car and waxing your car, but your car is not going to give you a nice hug and a warm embrace and look you in the eye and say, I love you, daddy. And that car will never bring you the happiness and the joy that your children will. And people are sitting in bigger houses that are emptier than they've ever been. And they're unhappy as a result. And so, um, you know, we need to re rethink our values as Christian people and the value of children that should be central to our lives. So um, there's a lot I've said there. <laughs> what, what's interesting about that, Jason, is uh, when you look at, yeah, but when you look at the, the Old Testament and Moses, you know, he he in Deuteronomy chapter six and Deuteronomy thirty two, um, he brings out some really important truths that speak directly to what we're talking about here. Of course, in Deuteronomy chapter six is the great Shema, you know, of Israel. You know, hear O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God, and you shall love this Lord with all your heart, soul mind and strength and so that's the greatest commandment given to men and in context with deuteronomy chapter six the greatest application of that commandment was to homeschool your children to raise them in the fear in the admonition of the lord uh, and he talked about when you walk along the way when you go to bed at night when you get up in the morning you know put it on the doorpost put it on the gates in other words, you know, raising your children uh, according to the scriptures. And what's so interesting about that, Jason, you come to Deuteronomy chapter 32 and Moses is reiterating this same commandment that the, the commands of the Lord be in your heart and you make sure you diligently teach your children. He says this amazing statement. He said, this is not a vain thing. He said, this is your life. And so, so many people, brother, are wandering, like, what is the meaning of life? Like, why am I here? What am I supposed to do? Well, according to God's word, you grow up, you become an adult, and you get married, and you get married in your youth. God promotes youthful marriage. And why is that? Because it takes strength. It takes effort. Amen. It takes diligence to raise those rascals in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. You know, and if you're going to build a strong kingdom family, you got to be young enough and have energy enough to do it well. Most people don't parent. Um, well, they're not conscientious about it and not doing it in a deliberate way. They're just letting life bounce them all around, around the, you know, around the place. And they're trying to catch up. Um, they're not proactive. They're reactionary yeah. brother, but God wants us to be proactive. Yeah. And, and so brother, it's, um, the, these issues that we are discussing brother, not only was it important. Uh, in the Old Testament, where Moses says, this is your life. Grow up, get married young, have as many kids that God blesses you with, and, and, and teach them diligently the word of God. And then, of course, in the New Testament, we have this example where the parents want Jesus to bless the kids. The apostles blow it big time. They want to sending the kids and the parents away. The Lord gets upset with them, and he says this, Allow the children to come to me, for such is the kingdom of God. So in God's divine mind, Jason, the gospel of the kingdom equals children. Children. The kingdom equals children. And so we could understand from a, a spiritual point of view 
the one who has come to kill, steal, and destroy, we can understand why he has a vested interest to produce an anti-child mentality in the world and even contaminate the church with that lie. And so, brother, what we're bringing to the table uh, is critically, critically important when it comes to the advancement of God's kingdom in the earth, because we got to remember when God called Abraham, he said, look at the stars in the sky. Look at the sand on the seashore. If you can count them, then you can count your descendants. And so when we talk about Abraham's blessing, that through Abraham, God is going to bless all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth. And people talk about Abraham's blessings all the time. Sadly, one of the main things they leave out is the means and ways that it's going to be accomplished in the earth. And that is through the seed line. That is through descendants. That is through children. Oh, brother, do we get knocked off here? Yeah. No, we're good. We're good. Praise God. So anyway, brother, um, did you have any more um, important principles that you brought out in that post, brother, that could could help our folks here today? Yeah, I think that one of the reasons why people don't want to have kids, and there's a few of those reasons, is because, you know, one, the, the two most common things I hear are this. One is I just don't have the money. <clears throat> you know, I just don't have the resources to have a, a lot of kids or any kids. And so let me challenge that, first of all, and say uh, we are the wealthiest nation that's ever existed in history. The poorest people in America live better than the wealthiest from 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago. Um, so if, 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 if the average American doesn't have enough money to have children, then nobody ever should have had children ever. Because almost everybody before us for thousands of years was poorer than us, poorer than the average American by far. So I think that's a big cop out. What I think people really are saying is if I have kids, I won't have all the luxuries that I want. That's a very different thing. And then you need to, you need to question yourself and yes. say, what's more important? Those luxuries that you want, those luxuries that you're pursuing or a God-honoring heritage of children. And I would suggest to you that in the long run, you'll be far richer with more children than without. And, uh, you know, I can add to that and say, well, you know, I've raised, you know, with my now 11th child in the way, uh, we've never had health insurance, never had a 401k, never taken a penny from the government. And, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not condemning anybody's done any of those things. I'm just saying that's my story. Uh, we've had a modest blue collar income and I've raised all these children and they've never gone without and we have a you know, very happy family. And so you don't need a lot to raise kids. They're, they're, you know, uh, kids are not nearly as expensive as people think they are. You know, once you have your first couple, you kind of got everything you need. You can hand me down things. The stuff that you can pick up at thrift stores and secondhand stores is incredible garage sales and you know kids don't need to have the brand new latest this and that they don't need two and three hundred dollar pairs of shoes thousand dollar laptops uh, that's just not essential and so don't believe the materialistic lie of corporate america that you've got to have all these things to be happy no you don't many times our kids are actually much happier with less because they learn to appreciate the value you know and, and spend their time on things that are far more meaningful than having the latest, newest little gadget and toy that they're going to become bored with and just going to sit on a shelf and collect dust in a month anyway. And so, you know, my, my right. kids are my retirement. And I know you think the same way, Rusty. You know, it's like, who's going to take care of me when I'm old? I'm not looking to Social Security. I'm not looking to the government. I've never looked to the government for my security. And I don't look to the corporate America or some corporation for my security either. Because those things can absolutely fail you. We saw it during COVID, you know, where get the vaccine or you're going to lose this job. Get the vaccine or you're going to be cut off from a government program. Um, you know, that's not where I find my security. My security is in the fact that I've raised my children to honor God to the best of my abilities. And they're going to take care of me when I'm old. 
I'm, I've taught my children skills. I've invested in them. I've taught them what love looks like, what sacrifice looks like, what hard work looks, looks like in industry. And so my kids were raising to be successful and to be hardworking, to accomplish things. And that's where my security is in. And that's some God's ordained pattern. They're going to take care of me when I'm old. And I don't care about the social security system if it collapses or not, you know. Um, yeah. Well, you know, so, so, you know, I think, yeah. again, it's, 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 it's restructuring our economy and our understanding of security and identity around the family, the God-ordained family, rather than the state and the corporation, as, as has been the case for the last 80 plus years through this, 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 this uh, social reengineering that has gone on. And it's bought everybody's allegiance to government, people's allegiance to corporate America. And those are two institutions that have become increasingly godless and hostile to the family. And and we're just reaping the bitter fruit of that all around us. Yeah, amen. Well, I, I can attest to the fact, brother, that um, by God's grace, we raised 13 children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. I've been in full-time ministry, brother, since uh, December of 1985, and only two of those years, brother, was I on salary, partial salary. The rest of those years, brother, I had no guarantee from nothing or nobody, no salary, no nothing. And we served the Lord full-time in the battle. Um, yeah, we, you know, it, we struggled at times, uh, no doubt about it. Well, I could tell you, brother, God is faithful. He's a good dad. Amen. He he takes care of his kids. And uh, if we trust and obey and serve and love and obey him, brother, uh, he's not going to leave us hanging, especially when we honor him and obey the scriptures. You know what I mean? And he's faithful, brother. Take good care of us. And so we, we've been a witness to that. You have been a witness to that. Now, bro, we're, we're getting very close where we're going to be knocked off this deal. Is there any closing statement that you have, brother? We only got a couple of minutes left. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I would say that, you know, America thrived as a nation of prosperity and freedom with big, messy families at the center. And as we've abandoned the traditional family, we're watching literal mass cultural suicide. And so we've got to get back to the family. And I'll just say one more thing in, in, in a way to just sort of honor you, Rusty, is I know you've experienced a lot of pain and hardship from the loss of children. And that's certainly one of the most painful things anybody could go through is to lose a child. And so uh, I would just want to make a statement about the nature of suffering. We as Christians are called at times to suffer. Suffering is a part of God's created order. It's part of his design. Scripture says, seeing as how Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. And, you know, children, you know, as with the full Christian life, oftentimes bring us pain and hardship. And that's okay. That's not uh, mutually exclusive from joy either. And God provides an outpouring of his grace to us as we embrace the sufferings that are built into his created order. God put us in a world of toil. It put us in a world where there is deprivation, there is hardship, there is tragedy, there is loss. And that's on so many levels and in so many different ways. And we live in a culture that has tried to do everything it can to insulate us from that. And it's made us weak. You know, it's like a little pot. It's like a little plant yeah. you put in, into, into a, a nice, safe, little, you know, uh, greenhouse. It's never experiences the wind and the rain. It never experiences the cold temperatures. It never experiences predators gnawing at it. Um, but it's always stays weak and little and soft and bears very little fruit. And that's the average Christian church. And that's what, what America is producing. And God says, no, put your tree, your plant down in the deep, hard soil of the world that he made whether the storms and the rain beat upon it and wild animals come and seek to devour it. And yet the roots go down deep, the branches grow up strong and they stretch themselves out for the sunlight and it bears much fruit. And it's through the hardship that those tree, a tree becomes strong and tall and fruitful. And, uh, and we must embrace that mentality 
because it's the mentality that Christ would have for us. It is a godly mentality. It's the mentality that God wants us to have, to embrace hardship, to embrace suffering, and family and children are part of that. So I would say to the Christian people, em- embrace the challenges of life that God has built into the created order. Yeah, amen, brother. I, I, I always tell people, brother, when I preach that uh, our Christian education is not complete until we, like Job, say, though you slay me, I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to praise you. I'm still going to serve mm-hmm. you. You know, I, I'm still going to obey you. You know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that, that's a hard lesson to learn, brother. It really, really is because it it goes deep into our souls and taught God takes his shovel, buddy, and turns things over. And then you find out what's really on the inside of you. <laughs> Yikes. You know, um, but that is a part of the the maturing process and growing in faith. And I'll just end with this, bro. Um what you said is so true. What we're talking about is not easy. It is the more difficult path. You know, obviously, if I didn't have 13 kids, um, my life would be a lot less messy. It would be so much easier. I would get to do a lot of things that I would enjoy doing in this world. But I got to tell you this, Jason, and I want everybody to hear this. The times where I feel the most well-being in this crazy world that I find myself in is when I am sitting around the table with all my children and my grandchildren about me. And like I said, bro, it's like a wave. It's just a wave that comes over me. And then you look at it and you look at the good, the bad and the ugly and the trial and the error and the victories and the loss and the suffering and the pain and the bumps in the road and the challenges. And at the end of the day, brother, when you see that, when you experience, there's just only one response. It's worth it. It is absolutely worth it. And it's not just for the here and now, brother. Uh, Because the kingdom is going to be advanced through our children and grandchildren. They were raised with that multi-generational kingdom view. Uh, But, brother, this translates, obviously, forever uh, in heaven, you know, with with our posterity uh, here on earth. So what a great Lord. He's got a great, great, you know, kingdom plan. We just got to get the church, you know. Uh, you know, to sever the ties, you know, with this culture of death and begin to think and act biblically once again. So, Jason, bro, thank you so much uh, for your time and for this podcast. I do love you, buddy, and I appreciate you very much. Likewise, brother, love you, and you've been a great example of all these things to me and to many others. So, Lord bless you. It's been a privilege and an honor to be with you, brother. Yes, sir. Well, brothers and sisters, that was Jason Storms, National Director of Operation Save America, my good buddy and partner uh, in many kingdom projects, including our school, the Kingdom Leadership Institute. Jason, we're getting close, buddy. (laughs) We're almost going to have that up and running very soon. Praise God. Yes, sir. So anyway, brothers and sisters, As usual, I just want to encourage you to keep pressing on to that high call and prize in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, God bless you. Till next time. 